Today, I had the pleasure of chatting with Kyle Kaczynski from Endless Events. In this podcast, we spoke about so much stuff, a lot about his career, how he moved up from being a punter to working with some amazing clients over, over the last number of years. We also talk about how production teams and vendors can make themselves more appealing in this constantly changing world of events and COVID and will we, won't we? How can vendors become more appealing for the event managers, people who are doing the planning and paying the bills to get more work and to help them continue this drive for hybrid and online delivery? So please enjoy today's podcast. Kaczynski, welcome to the Better Podcast. I'm in there. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, well, I've been following you on LinkedIn for a little while, keeping uh, on your updates. But for those who don't follow your LinkedIn, um, I'd love to little uh, tell us about yourself. Well, then, uh, I started uh, working in events when I just started volunteering as a kid. Uh, I just started going to different festivals or different runs and seeing where I could lend a hand. And that really drove my interest to what's going on behind the scenes that, you know, just a, a general attendee of these events that they wouldn't be able to see. Uh, so when I started going to college, I just started getting involved more with the concerts uh, scene that was in my area, which was uh, in Gainesville, Florida in the United States, where Tom Petty had got his start. Uh, and uh, I, after kind of getting involved with the concerts, then I just started working in them. And then for a few years, I would do the festival circuit, uh, helping with artist hospitality or site operations at these larger music and arts festivals. But then uh, as the pandemic uh, kind of came into effect, a lot of the clients we were working with, they either did one of two things. They either decided to cancel and wait till next year, or they decided to do some sort of virtual format of that event. Uh, and that's where I really started getting more into using event technology at events uh, because we worked with a lot of uh, non-for-profits that did uh, walks and runs for charity. So they uh, they still wanted to do some sort of, you know, bringing people together because you can still walk, you know, outside. Uh, so what they did is they essentially made their events longer, not just one day. They essentially made it, you have a week to do this run or you have a month to do this challenge. Uh, and essentially, uh, there would be a kickoff event, like there would be at a, a run where you're getting all warmed up together. You accept that we did it virtually. And then you had that challenge go on. And then after the event, then everybody came back together for a post-event live stream where we had entertainment. Uh, and then... Uh, flash forward, no uh, endless events. We're producing full live on uh, productions that are uh, in multiple locations where our clients are having events in different hubs and spokes, uh, really just helping connect the dots in bringing new technology to clients that haven't been necessarily using technology uh, in the past uh, for their events, or maybe they're just looking to uh, expand upon what they've been using in the past uh, because they're strategy has been changing so much uh, over the past few years. Definitely. It's it's a whole new world. I think you kind of touched on it a little bit there. Uh, so your implementation manager for endless events. That's um, correct. First off, can you tell us a little bit about what that actually means? Actually, no. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about endless events 
And then sure. what does an implementation manager actually do? So Will Kern started Endless Events 15 years ago as almost, it was uh, a DJ company for high schools that were looking to hire okay. DJs for their okay. uh, for their high school proms and dances. And Will started this in Phoenix, Arizona in the United States. And his company grew to become a production company because more events were starting to come to Will saying, hey, we loved what you were doing at these dances with the lights and the staging. So he began to grow his company as a production company. That's and then awesome. uh, we started working with different uh, comic cons or trade shows or sales kickoffs. Uh, and then uh, now we really help bring, bring in together the virtual or hybrid formats for that as well. If you are going to be streaming some of your content out uh, to attendees, Will would kind of say, we've been doing live streams for a very long time where essentially you're just sending that input you know, back to the users at home. But what really we've been trying to work on with event technology providers over this past few years is that two-way communication with one another for the in-person attendees to be able to see the virtual attendees. There's a lot of conversation in the industry right now, whether or not, should, should I avoid that? Should I avoid bringing mm -hmm. two groups together or should I just keep them segmented? So I always find it interesting to hear everyone's takes because uh, it, it really dep depends on your events, uh, mm -hmm. what, what, what you need to do. Uh, but really what I do at Endless Events today is clients will come to us saying, hey, we use XYZ platform for our registration or we don't have a registration tool at all. We kind of walk them through what are the key things that they're going to need while they're going through the registration process, and then essentially uh, pair them up with either you know a few different options of tools. Um, but we don't just stop at registration. Where we kind of started was more the event platform, like the hub, the virtual venue of your event, where you're going to watch your sessions, uh, how you're going to interact with any of the other users on the event, and then over time our recommendations have really grown to mobile apps, lead retrievals, mm -hmm. uh, beaconing, any sort of way that you want to bring uh, essentially a new data point to your event uh, or a new experience that you haven't allowed uh, for because your format didn't require it. Uh, yeah. So uh, we work with their budget because a lot of times clients will say, hey, we want the world, but really <laughs> the, we, they can't even afford you know, dinner. So yeah. uh, we, 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 we help them where they are and uh, over time, we kind of tell them how they can get to where they want to go, even if it's not immediate. So it sounds like you've consulted with a lot of event managers and that role is really about matching the needs and requirements to the tools and the vendors and the technology. I'd really love to know, not necessarily from an event technology uh, platform live streaming um, site, but I would really love to know a little bit more about how you take uh, event managers through the process of deciding on vendors, predominantly like production team, like what, what does that look like? So at Endless Events, we're more of a management company where a client will come to us saying, hey, this is what we want to do for their event. And then within a, you know, within that week, we have to turn them around essentially a very cl as close as possible budget for their event. Mm -hmm. And we once we are once we present that initial budget to the client, uh, first we're talking to vendors in that week window, and we're mm -hmm. saying, hey, we need to find a, a you know we we have this ballpark budget for the client. Um, 
for the overall event, and we say uh, we need these services from the prediction, a particular production vendor or whatever vendors that we may be working with at the time. If we get back to the client and, and we are over their budget, the client either says, "See ya, sorry, we can't work. To, we can't work with you." But mm-hmm. of course, we want to be able to recommend uh, you know vendors that can fit their pricing model as well. Um, but uh, as an as an agency or as a management company or as on the production or vendor side, you really have to like look at the partnership model and over time start finding those key vendors or uh, as a, a planner those key vendors that you're getting consistent like almost a great consistency with because then mm. it just makes everything easier having to retrain or re-educate vendors on how your event structure is or mm. what they should be expecting on site uh it's not just the same as like loading up your rigging into a the, you know a new ballroom it's mm. it's very different working with different clients and i guess with uh the change in the economic kind of you know, we have potentially a recession looming. We've had, you know, years of COVID. We have down numbers on events in person, yeah. down numbers. Like budget is becoming, from what I hear, budget and support is becoming really the two critical factors for, for event sort of decision making without just sort of everyone races to the bottom. How can vendors be a little bit more conscious of like, how can they become a little bit more budget friendly? If we also have to take into account uh, you have, and I'm sure you're not the only ones, but you have a very short window of getting yeah. that budget back to the to the uh, potential client. What can they do? Even before, like the the agency or the whoever that the vendor is speaking with about that particular client, even before you start having conversations about that particular event, you essentially want to have a, like a, a partnership model or, or a pricing like kind of mm-hmm. structure in place where we can at least expect, you know, having these many breakout rooms, having this these many general sessions, uh, this similar questions like that that can kind of help uh, create a scope of work. We would almost be able to easily identify that. Yep, this is the vendor that we can work with because mm. we just we we've already know their rates for the year. They're, they're not going to be changing, but of course we still have to communicate to them on dates, time, location because that might affect the cost differently than what mm. we might have already like have have discussed with them. But sometimes vendors don't necessarily want like aren't able to share that because thing their pricing changes every week. So I guess maybe one way they could be uh, more budget friendly is consistency in their pricing. Yeah. If, if, if that's possible, you know. Yeah, I think so. The industry, I mean, we've just kind of been talking about it, but the industry is changing daily, it seems, you know. We've spoken about what we would like people to, you know, vendors and, and, and clients to do, but what are you actually seeing in your experience with, with event managers and AV teams and how is everyone kind of adapting to this constant change and flow? One, one thing that we've seen recently is that overall, uh, over the past few months, virtual registrations for events have been down. Uh, and that's particularly because in-person registrations have been up. Everybody's mm-hmm. been re- going and traveling and, and enjoying the event uh, since that we haven't been able to since 2019. Uh, so in one area, that's great that their in-person registrations are up. But those clients, they're still paying for their a lot of their virtual technology. Mm-hmm. And then when they go look back at their return on investment after event and they see, wow, we only had about 100 registrations for virtual this year, they mm-hmm. might decide to cut out 
so many of the, the so much of the progress they were working on mm-hmm. like for example just adding captioning and interpretation to sessions that's just one of the core strategies that we believe event planners just need to be going more forward with being able totally to make great. your content more accessible it should be your goal because you're going to have be able to s- spread your message to a, a wider audience. Mm-hmm. But interpretation and captioning costs almost could cost as much as another event itself. So yeah. that's really frustrating for planners and they just avoid it altogether. So if they see they spent, you know, uh, over almost like 50, 50K on translation and for only 50 people, that's a thousand dollars per person just yeah. for them to be able to hear it. And th- for any of your C level, you know, executives, they're, they're going to say, we shouldn't be doing that. We're just going to have an in-person only event now, mm-hmm. but the, whoever your event manager was at the time, you know, they were trying to make some progress with your event strategy and widen, you know, who can, who can be able to, to attend and watch your event. And I think that highlights, I mean, I, I, uh, before we started recording, I, I told you my thoughts and, um, I'll reiterate them. I think, yeah. uh, event managers have a probably not so much event managers who are kind of leading the charge, but event managers who seem to be blaming the delivery method of the online portion um, of their, you know, the, the cost and the delivery method to this online, to the re- reduction in um, attendees or the, the lack of kind of massive up, upswing in attendees. My thoughts are they're kind of coming at the what they're doing online wrong. And I think that's down to they're not looking at the content. They are flying in and bringing in industry-leading experts. They're putting panels together where they're discussing, you know, groundbreaking stuff. And it's just not produced. It's boring to look at. There's one camera that doesn't change and it is boring. Now, the TV channels don't blame the television people for a lack of viewers. They look at the content, what they're doing. Is it exciting and produced? Yes, that's going to have a high number of people watching it. Netflix didn't reduce. They constantly make exciting content, get more viewers. That's the whole point. And I wonder, are you seeing the event managers or the events that are putting more effort into considering their content is a broadcast uh, and are you seeing anything kind of like people who are putting that effort are having a little bit more success online and people who are just like, oh, it's just something we have to do and it's purely a cost thing, so we won't bother. Are you seeing any difference? Absolutely. Exactly what you were saying was if, they're, if they put that a little bit more content into uh, making sure they have a technician as the speaker is doing a pre-record, for example, mm. that's going to help make sure that that pre-record is worth sharing even after the event and repurposing that content, the planners that are now recording session after session and being able to repurpose different snippets, uh, use it in, in different ways, that's going to make just your overall marketing content better. Mm-hmm. It's going to make your attendees more uh, happier when they can go back and uh, rewatch it because we're seeing so many attendees, they don't end up even watching the session when it's going live the first time. That the, the, uh, it's almost just as many people are watching it after it's gone live. Yeah. And of course, you know, you've got this, people are going back in person, meaning the sessions, they're, they're there to they're network and communicate, talk and make deals and do sales. They're not going into the sessions. So all of these people that you're flying in are going to waste. 
you know, record it for the people that turn up. One of the challenges for, I think, both event planners and vendors should should know when working with this virtual venue or event platforms, because your clients might be picking a different one every, all the time, is the login experience that will make or break how, how many attendees are going to be using their app. Uh, because there's not really a set standard uh, for these platforms. Some of them, uh, you get a magic link sent to your email and expires in two days or a week. Some, you just get sent an event link and it's like a free-for-all. You could just go on right in. Uh, whereas others, you get sent like a, a multi-factor authentication code. And every time you go in, you don't have to set a password, but you do have to go back to your email and check that code. So I think that will really, de- depending on how simple uh, the process is for logging into the event, that's how much you'll see uh, the users increase on your event. Like we just had a trade show uh, where it, there was a, a hybrid element to it where there's booths in person, but the, they could all, they also have a virtual element to their booth for those that didn't come on site. Uh, and you could see that only about 40% of the 6,000 attendees ever ended up logging into the app. Like we know that they still had great conversations on site, but maybe just that initial login experience was challenging for them or they just, uh, as they were traveling, they just didn't decide to open up that email because that was the login process for that particular virtual venue. And I find, look, I've done, I don't know how many events over the years, as in been an attendee at these events. And when there's, hey, download this app and you can, it's like, no, oh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not putting another, no. No, I would just not. Attendees won't do it. Like that, that, that would take almost over 15 minutes just to get into the platform, probably, if you, or, or more yeah. to download a, an actual application to your, uh, to your uh, computer. But we, we do see a lot of clients are still asking for like a, a branded mobile app because mm-hmm. they do end up using the app for more than one event. They essentially mm-hmm. can just throw in a new event into that app they've already built and then they yeah. don't have to rebuild a new app, which has been helpful. So at the start, you were talking about uh, how Endless kind of matches a ton of different technology to to the requirements of the event, you know, beacons and check-ins and ticketing. And that is a lot of data points. Yes. I'd love to get, uh, especially as the, you did a webinar recently on, on data for uh, the event profs community, which we'll talk about uh-huh. in a sec, but I'd love to get twofold on this. I really want to know sort of a high level overview of how event managers are taking massive amounts of data and turning that into actionable information. Also I'd like to know if is there any way that the people who are actually working in the, the production team, is there any data coming out of these events that can help them do their job? or do a better production? Focusing on the production company first, a lot of times they are seeing the analytics first on how many viewers are watching each of the languages that are being interpreted. And that helps the planner uh, and uh, that helps the planner know, okay, uh, you know, we are growing uh, our, our viewership in these different languages. Maybe we should host, you know, a regional event in a country that that language is their primary language. So we can even build more members there. Uh, from a production vendor standpoint too, um, 
that's just also something that you, you can kind of analyze and say, okay, this was uh, the industry that this client used and they had, they had all these languages present. So the next time that I'm going to work with a client that's also in that industry, maybe I should also recommend they incorporate those languages too, because you're essentially rec giving a recommendation to the client that says, hey, we want your event to be even better than this last event that we were a part of. So you're continuing to, to help them improve. Yeah, it, it's interesting, the analysis. Like that's a really interesting point and it's a simple thing. Lots of people from this country who speak predominantly this language are attending events. We should look at catering specifically or investigating that market. Overall from the planner, like uh, one of the probably core analytics you should be able to obtain is uh, what duration did the individual user spend in the session? Because that'll mm -hmm. tell you if your session is too long, if it's just right, uh, because that's something that really has to change uh, from schools to uh, even events. The, the how long your class is to how long your your session and panel is has been too long and the the amount of intention span we have is just getting lower and lower so the more you can get to the point and uh, have some balance of bringing your attendees and delegates into the content itself uh, I think that will make it the most you know unique content that your events could be producing rather than just bringing in the same panel from another event that they already had, you know, a few months back. There are some variables and I would love to know how you would deal with this. So you mentioned um, there's someone watching a session and the session is going for a period of time and you're seeing a drop off. Now, there's two ways you could look at it, that the session is too long or the topic doesn't quite hit yes. what's in vogue right now. But also the people actually presenting may just be boring. What can you do when you're looking at this data? How do you bring in that human element of like the like this was just a boring person, like monotone and didn't look or, or the, the production was just a single camera? Like how do you bring this into that decision-making process without analytics? I would say two steps. First, as the planner, you have to be mentally present in the room or as you're watching the stream and not be too busy doing something else just so you can like see the sentiment you can actually hear what people are saying you can see their faces as they're walking out of the room or if it's virtually you can direct message you know just people that you saw were really active in the chat and you could say what did you think of that? Like, if you're, if you're too busy and you miss out on those moments, you're gonna just have to be able to look at numbers and make assumptions. Mm -hmm. The second thing that you can do is incorporating short surveys that are like automatic triggers as the mm -hmm. attendee is like leaving their session, mm -hmm. uh, just so that they don't have to wait till after the event and go into an email to click into a survey. We're seeing a, a much more valuable feedback and a higher quantity of feedback if it could be like automated and immediate like that and short not asking 10 questions about one session but maybe just two yeah and targeting it on this specific user with this data set visiting this specific thing yeah there's a there's a lot of stuff that technology could be doing better what do you think well, I was just, as you were, you were talking about it, about the sentiment, what I was thinking was, I mean, there's a lot of ways that you can tell the user's engagement with what's going on by, you know, the, the keyboard activity, the mouse activity, you know, the screen activity, what's going on. My thoughts are, I wonder if you can kind of heat map the engagement, their emotional sentiment, matching the words that are being said, because you could do sentiment, 
matching the chat that's going on. So you can build, like I said, an emotional heat map that shows you the whole session and tells you exactly where they got bored generally. Technology is an amazing thing. Yeah, it's kind of creepy because there are there are cameras you can put in like a live session room or on the trade show floor that actually are just gauging. Are people generally smiling or are people generally stern faced? Yeah. Whereas if you were to implement a similar thing like that virtually, I think the virtual attendees would be even creep, creeped out too. Oh, I don't mean like showing the camera. I think it more like yeah. as the mouse moves around, like if, <laughs> yeah. you know, if I've got it sort of off to the side and I'm doing my e emails, I'm not really engaged, you know? So yeah. I think there's a softer way of doing it. Totally. In your experience with all of these events, knowing that sort of hybrid, you know, I have a personal vested interest in hybrid and, and virtual events. Uh, uh -huh. What do you think that production teams, especially ones that have pivoted into hybrid as a, as a key part of their service during COVID the last couple of years has big investment gone into. Knowing event managers are starting to kind of go off the boil of hybrid events, what can production teams do to kind of do the upsell back into hybrid? You're always going to have attendees that cannot travel uh, or just won't be able to uh, for this particular event, but they still want to engage and you know that they'll add value to your content as well. So being able as a production company, being able to make it a seamless process for a virtual, someone who isn't on site to be able to ask a question to the speaker that is on site and not just by the typing it in, but actually video, audio, real time and not a delay. That is probably the best upsell I would say that if as a production company, you can offer to a planner right now and make it not look like Zoom either. Like we don't want it to have like those same borders. Like that's where you as a production company can add in the lower thirds or any other branding or graphics for the client. Um, so as a production company, you might need to ask for bringing in more of a creative partner so that mm -hmm. as you're seeing, like if you work for a client for two, for say two years, for this event year one you saw okay they didn't implement lower thirds they didn't even have like a pre-roll or post-roll slides like that's something that you can as a production company you could you should start to take on or have a partner like endless to help you with i completely agree i've said this on some of the past podcasts i think that twitch streamers don't understand the value that they could be bringing to corporate <laughs> events because you have these guys and girls who will sit and play a game and completely vision mix while playing and engaging with an audience for like five hours. And I don't the know how they viewership, do that. Neither do I. And if you take that skill set and bring it into a corporate environment, you know, I think that they're not really understanding the value that they could be bringing. There's a whole new career for Twitch streamers. We're calling you out. Come on. Yeah. Uh, there's, Get to a, there's, work. A, there's a need for it too. Like on all levels, from the vendor side to the planner side, they, they need support for planners that are, aren't afraid to bring in the technology. And yeah. they're ahead of the game, honestly. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. What do you think is the short-term and long-term future for events, especially the ones you're working in? Short-term for events, I will say, I would say that uh, people are planning events and aren't afraid of COVID currently. Like they, they understand the risks and they almost know the attendees definitely have a chance of, of contracting it at, at the event but they're just like like just the 
planning companies, like who, like whatever Aventus is for, they're so down on revenue from just their overall past two years. They need these events and to bring people back into person. Uh, so, and attendees want to get back into person as well. So, I think you'll continue to see people getting sick, but you also continue to see people going to events. Um, and we, they won't have like almost this hard shutdown that we saw a few years back. Uh, long term, uh, but short term, I think we're going to see uh, it's going to be harder uh, for planners to really evaluate the return on investment for these virtual tools uh, because if they're not seeing the registrations go up, they're inst instinctually going to think, okay, we don't need this for our event. But for those that do stick with it and just continue to elevate and not necessarily spend like more money, but just maybe reallocate uh, what virtual tours they're spending on currently, uh, over time, you're going to have a very happy attendee because you have those that know that oh bummer i can't travel to this one but i know that i can just log into my community app for the event and i can see uh, any of the sessions that i missed i can go meet with some of the sponsors that were at that event um so i think long term uh the more that these individualized webinars and these individualized events can be kind of connected and you're going to help expand your attendees storyline and working with your brand and getting involved with your organization's mission. Because if you only have that one flagship event uh, of the year, what is your attendee doing between now and then? A lot of the success we've seen from nonprofits is yes, they have their large walk or run during the year, but they are consistently doing many fundraisers all throughout the year, bringing the community together, having different regional events. And that's what corporate events should really start bringing together is don't even get me started with webinars because I don't like the attendees are just so not a part of that experience as much as they should be. I really don't consider a webinar to be an event. That is no. a meet. It's a meeting now. Mm. Um, so you really have to elevate what it means to have a, a virtual event or, uh, and you do have to know is if you're a planner and you're going to start cutting out these uh, technologies from your events, your attendees are attending other events. Is, mm. Your event is not the only one they go to. So if they're seeing that other events are elevating and you're just staying put the same way you planned your events from 2019 prior, then you're going to lose out on that attendee. Whether mm. If it's not this year, it, it might be the next. Uh, that's interesting. And I've heard that a couple of times that the idea of community building, that you have to get this constant, not constant, but you know maybe monthly, small targeted event to keep people engaged that you build this list. So when you've got your big two-day conference, they're already engaged with you, your brand, because of this constant value you're giving back to them through these these smaller events. Yeah, and I, I also agree webinars. Webinars are not events, they're lectures. <laughs> you've just launched the Event Profs community, which is, I'm assuming, a fantastic place for people to actually start doing a little bit of this learning and, and getting these tools. Can you tell us about the Event Profs community? Yeah, so Will started the Event Profs Unite Slack group. So you may have heard of that uh, yep. a few years back. And it really, that was, uh, there was different threads for to ask for help uh, or just to make an introduction so that uh, you can network with other event professionals. However, 
we want to be able to show clients that are thinking about the community model for their event, what that could really look like and beyond just like a Slack thread or a Discord channel and really engaging in those virtual venues. Uh, so we partnered with a, a virtual venue to essentially be able to create this, uh, really move the Slack community over to where any event professional or anyone learning to look up, uh, learn about events, they can either host their own sessions or they can just attend round tables or um, just a lounge, you know, networking uh, tables just to meet one another with video and audio and to be able to uh, really like, like we were discussing earlier, repurpose content. Like once we have a, 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 when a member of the community, when they hold their session, we put it up in the community library so that those who couldn't come to a previous episode they can come watch it and where we're really trying to help grow is just helping any event professional or anyone who's involved in the, in the event uh, learn about different topics and uh, get them and really just expose planners to what other events are going on in the industry right now it's kind of just like a feed for what's going on in the events industry and people are posting uh what they need help with uh, that hey i need a vendor in xyz location or uh this is an event that i just saw and uh what i really liked about it was and maybe you don't even know that someone in the event props community they worked on that event so really in the meantime we're just trying to help planners connect with one another and also create a stage for them um, that's, you know, on a new platform. That's excellent. Is that a paid or a free platform? What's the... uh, it's currently a free platform uh, and it, it, you have to apply and then you can be accepted. There's a, a monthly cohort. So you get mm -hmm. uh, brought in, uh, in uh, you get brought in with all a bunch of uh, other members all at once. So you don't have to feel like you're uh, alone coming into this event props world. Uh, you're coming in with a bunch of new friends and colleagues and we have some exciting content ready for you. Uh, but we also know that you have a lot of valuable things that you could teach event professionals or in uh, what's exciting is these round tables they're like they're like twitter spaces where you can just come on come off as you please you don't have to turn on your camera you can just unmute and uh, share you know your feedback when something comes stagnant to you but like we were talking about the the analytics one we did last week is we're trying to help planners just be vocal about you know a broad challenge they're having about their uh, about their event and anyone who's on this round table they can jump in and say hey this is what i think could help and provide a strategy or uh, it's just for those to sit back and listen in and be like oh wow i haven't even had that challenge yet so i'm just learning you know before i even hit uh, before i even get there oh, that's awesome um we'll put the link somewhere here. Um, how, how does that? There, yeah, yeah, where somewhere, wherever it goes. Yes. <laughs> um, what's the the URL? Like, how can people get to this? Uh, eventprofscommunity.com. So we made it easy for you. Okay, eventprofscommunity.com. Fantastic. Now, if anyone wanted to reach out to you uh, for implementation of technology for their event, how can yeah. they get in touch with you? Uh, reach out on LinkedIn. You know, we're always talking about different technologies. You can find out more about like, different uh, things that we're seeing pop up. I'm always sharing other industry events as well. And uh, that way we can come meet up and network at one of those events as well. Awesome. Awesome. And on that, Kyle, thank you so very, very much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, Ben. It was great to see you. Awesome. Cheers.